reading from Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? One thing I asked of the Lord that will I seek after, to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Now my head is lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious to me and answer me. Come, my heart says, seek my face. Your face, Lord, do I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, do not cast me off. Do not forsake me, O God of my salvation. You know, in 2002-2003, Jennifer and I lived in these apartments. And I would go for a walk in the mornings to Starbucks in the Marine Del Rey. And right when they were, um, when you walk past Raymond's house, there was a house that was for sale. It looked like it just was renovated. It looked beautiful. The lighting was really nice. And it had a for sale sign on it. And I said, there's our house. Joel Steen tells me if I just claim it, I can have it. And so I claimed this is going to be my first home that I've ever owned. I'm not going to live in an apartment. This is an American dream. I'm going to own a home. And so Jennifer and I saved a boatload of money to us, and it was $50,000. And so therefore, you know, when you buy a home, you have to have 20% down. And so I said, this is in 2003, 2004, I said, that's it. And so when I walked back, I looked at the house and I go, ooh, Robertson's established 2000, it would be cool. And so, needless to say, when I saw Ray on the way back, I said, Ray, there's a house for sale there. He goes, yeah, it's on the market for 695. Ooh, it's not my house. I can't afford it. There's no way I can do it. 695, and I thought in my head, there's no way in the world real estate on the west side would go any higher than 695,000. How could anyone afford 695,000? That's like $130,000 down or $160,000 down. So I decided to do something that I thought was smart. I invested into real estate property that I thought would be my way back and getting that down payment back. So I bought three homes that are in, in different states. And I thought if I keep them for two years and make all this money, then I'll have enough down payment for this $695,000 house. That was in 2009 I was supposed to sell it. Those houses went down 60% in market value and 15% the other house. So not even to say that I was $50,000 in savings, I was 200,000 plus in debt. So this is what happens when some of us chase the American dream. 
This is what happens sometimes when all of a sudden you think you're doing something and then all of a sudden your finances just go crazy where you're not expecting a recession, you're not expecting this, and you thought you were doing some smart decisions and some smart financing. This is where I've noticed your self-image and your net worth kind of connect, don't they? You feel like a failure. You feel like I'm never going to get out of this hole again. Last week we started a series called the three G's and not the three G or four G or five G, but the three G's. And we talked about the grace, about God's grace and how sometimes when we feel that we're in financial dire need or we're hurting financially, that sometimes we have to learn that we need to give ourselves some grace. That our identity is that we are a beloved child of God whom he's well pleased, not necessarily in our net worth. This is hard. Because we have to understand God's gracious love for you, God's gracious love for me, when we're in dire need of financial things, where when we embrace grace, then we learn how to trust God in an area we don't like to trust God in when it comes to finances. Now, I can sit there and blame God and go, God, why did this happen? Well, you made the decision based on your own wisdom, not knowing what's going to happen. But the thing is, can I trust God to get myself out of this financial dire need? And so, if you look on the screen, when we turn our focus away from all that could go wrong and how to take control to keep it from going wrong, and shifted towards all that God has done right for us, we begin to have the next G is gratitude. Can I have gratitude in the midst of going through a difficult time in my life? Or do I need to focus on, I'm going to have gratitude when this is gone. I'm going to enjoy life when this is dealt with. I'm going to have a gratitude when this is over with. And so, therefore, we have to learn, even in the midst of going through some difficulty, to learn, I have an attitude of gratitude. And so, I started to th we started to need to thank the Lord for things that we take for granted. I have an awesome church. I have an awesome wife. I have an awesome, I think, a good life, despite this area of it. But I mean, I, I need to focus and say, thank you, Lord, for the things that you brought in my life that money cannot necessarily buy. True friendship, a true deep marriage. And so this is where you take a moment to begin to count your blessings, and then you go deep into the gratitude of saying, thank you, God, for what I do have. Now, God's grace is truly is amazing. And the main way God's grace is given to us is through his son, Jesus Christ. God came right into the human existence and revealed a better way for you and I, not to chase a dream that America has told us to chase, but to chase him. This is where Jesus often refers to as what's called the light of the world. And I, I, I'm amazed at this because what does the light do if you think about this? Now, I don't know if you get up early in the morning and try not to wake up your spouse or wake up your partner and you, you're going like this and you trip over stuff, but the light reveals a lot of cool things. 
Because all of a sudden, the light reveals stuff that I've been stumbling around in the dark. The light reveals the direction I need to go. The light reveals a lot of things for me that what I was anguished about, what I was stressed about, that the light of the Lord would just reveal this darkness, and this darkness is not that bad. And then he challenges to move forward. Isaiah prophesied the day would come that the Messiah would be, he said, a great light. In fact, if you look at Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in the land of deep darkness on them, light had shined. David identified the Lord as a light. And I love how he, he said this, because the key word is strongholds. You know how you and I have strongholds? Like when it comes to temptation, you go, oh, this is a stronghold. Financial, my finances is such a stronghold on me that can suck the joy out of me. But look how he words it. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is a stronghold in my life. You see the difference there? He goes, I have a stronghold. It's the Lord. And I'm thinking in my head in 2009, that needs to be done with me. Not my finances, not my identity and all of this, but my stronghold needs to be in him. And when it, the Lord is, is the stronghold in my life, of whom shall I be afraid? That's a powerful scripture. You see, light, not only lighthouses find a way, but it takes away the fear. I don't know about you when you were a kid. You go, I don't want to go in this dark room. For me, haunted houses, forget it. I ain't doing it. But when the haunted house is all lit up, it ain't haunted. Oh, there's a goobling, there's a ghost. The darker it gets with the creepy music, I ain't going. I ain't doing it. You know, I, I have no male ego problem here that I'm not doing it. But the light gives a revelation and includes my attitude about money as well and includes our attitude about things. Now, if we jump in the gospel reading this morning, the passage reads and reference, it makes reference to the Old Testament. I want to follow. The people who walked in darkness have seen great light, but then immediately it says this. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, repent. And it's funny how American evangelicals have used that word repent as a negative thing. It is a positive thing. It is totally positive. When it comes to my finances, my attitude towards it, I had to repent because the way I was thinking about it produced tremendous amounts of fear in me. And so it says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now, this is not in modern language, but it's very fascinating to me where the, in the Bible it says, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is near, is coming, and all this stuff. And it would be interesting that us, we don't really understand what does it mean for the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God to come. Follow me on the screen. When Jesus spoke of the God's kingdom coming near, he was talking about God's original intention for the world of humanity being revealed through himself. When Jesus came into our world, it was as if a light turned on so we could finally see what God originally designed the world to look like. So God's original good design for humanity is what we call God's kingdom or the kingdom of heaven. 
And the thing is, when the kingdom of God's coming or when the kingdom of heaven's coming, he's revealing to you what you are meant to be. See, we chase dreams that the world tells us to chase, right? Then all of a sudden we go, oh, successful? What, what do I need to be successful at? Oh, this is success because that's what the world tells me is success. This is what I need to have. This is how I need to be and stuff like this. And so the light reveals this darkness. But what is darkness? Follow me. The kingdom of God in contrast to our human kingdoms. The book of Colossians refers to this human kingdom as a kingdom of darkness under satanic inspiration. The kingdom of darkness produces threats, fears, violence, oppression, racism, human trafficking, slavery, and the bondage of debt. The love of money, greed, is the root of all these things. So therefore, the light of Christ can free us from the love of money so that we can live righteously with a peace and joy that God intended for you and me. Now, this is where it gets challenging for us. This is why Jesus says this. Therefore, do not worry. <laughs> Love you, Jesus. Do not worry and say, where are we going to eat? Where are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? Gentiles long for all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Instead, desire first and foremost the kingdom of God and God's righteousness. And all these things will be given unto you. So this is where it's interesting. In that moment in 2009, when I'm sitting there going, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? I'm such a failure. I'm such a this. What this scripture is telling me is stop it. Your identity and foremost is in the kingdom of God. You be what God has created you to be. See, when we are tempted to be discontent, and remember I talked about discontentment. Discontentment gets us in trouble. That's why, you know, I thought, well, I live in an apartment. I'm in my 30s. I'm doing this. Everyone's at home. I, I remember flying over LAX. Sorry, flying into LAX. And I'm going, I'm looking at all the homes. I go, people own these. Why can't I own it? Do you see how all of a sudden it gets into this perpetual thing of discontentment? That everyone's getting a piece of the pie and you're not. And so therefore you, you do it. And so when we are tempted with discontentment, we start to worry about all kinds of things. We start to live in fear, which leads us to take control over our lives rather than trusting in God's plan for your life. That's where we make the mistakes. When we override this, God's will. And we just kind of convince ourselves, this is what I need to do. This is how I need to do it. <laughs> Here's the thing. Follow me. When Americans seek first the kingdom of God, they begin to reject the American dream. And it's a Christianized version. It's called the prosperity gospel. As a false counterfeit, they have seen the light and are seeking first God's design, which leads to liberation, including financial wholeness. The masses who will still walk in darkness are going the opposite way. You can't keep up with Jesus and the Joneses at the same time or either follow up one or the other. Am I the only one that when I see a Facebook in their house, I go, ooh, that's a nice look. You try to look at the, is that a two-story home they live in? Am I the only one that's done that? I am. That's okay. 
Okay. Okay, I just wanted to see if I'm... Because then all of a sudden, a sense of jealousy. Like, man, that person's half my age, and they own a bigger house than I am. And so, discontent, discontent, how that kicks in. And so, in the first, Jesus also said this, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one or love the other, or you will be loyal to the one and have content for the other. You cannot serve, get this, God and wealth. Can't do it. Serve. I'm not saying if you're homeowner, we own homes. But I'm saying if that becomes your master, your stress level is so high. And so this is where it's important. John's gospel talks about the light. He says this in John chapter 1, 10 through 11. The light was in the world, and the world came into being through the light. But the world didn't recognize the light. The light came to his own people, and his own people did not welcome him. See, this is interesting. If you if you take a grace track, there's a there's a quote in there, and I won't put the quote. It said, "The truth will set you free, but it will make you miserable." You guys, if you remember that quote, because sometimes when the light shines on our own darkness, that it gives a sober reality of where we are spiritually, or sober reality of where we are morally. And sometimes we don't want to see it. And all of a sudden, when you look at your finances, you go, this is where I am because of the choices I've made. Oh, nobody wants to hear that. Right? Nobody wants to hear it. And so what we do is we shut it down. We shut it off. See, on the screen, God and God's original intent for humanity came among us in Jesus Christ. We did the worst thing imaginable. We killed God. The light of the truth made us miserable, so we tried to shut it down. And if we begin to follow the light of truth, Jesus, when it comes to our finances, we will find ourselves at odds with this. Because God's standard of finances are totally at odds with the world's standards. And it drives me nuts sometimes. But the thing is, around, we prefer sometimes this financial darkness. We prefer the brokenness. We prefer trying to chase a dream that we think will give us fulfillment rather than being fulfilled that we are children of God. And out of that fulfillment, we live. Look on the screen. And when we are following light, you become lights, you become light which sheds uncomfortable truth. And those who prefer darkness, therefore many of you, many will not understand what you are doing and will even oppose you. Scripture says in Matthew, then Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up the cross and follow me. This is totally trust in Christ. Because when we're used to living in darkness, including darkness with our finances, because in 2009, they go, how you doing, Pastor? I'm going, doing great, praise the Lord. I'm broke. I'm broke. I got all this debt. And I made this, I wasn't the easiest person to live with, trust me. I was driving Jennifer crazy. And still do, but on other reasons. <laughs> you know, apparently, you know this. 
I'm not easy to live with, okay? My wife's up for sainthood as well. But I go, finances are my just are just crazy with me. And that's why I'm first doing a financial series that I've ever done, because I'm getting to the point of trusting him in this. You know, this is hard. Jesus said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves and take up the cross and follow me. That means my way of thinking. I had to do it. And so back on the screen, to learn to live in the light, we have to say no to our old habits that we developed in the dark. It can be painful, but on the other side of the resurrection into a new life of freedom includes financial wholeness. Light is truth because it's wisdom. And so therefore, Christ has to reveal what is going on in your heart because there has to be a heart change first about your finances before you can change your finances. Because we, we know in systematically, okay, maybe I shouldn't be doing this or maybe I shouldn't be buying this. But until there's a hard change, it's, there always will be that struggle. And so, now, I'm going to go real rapidly quick through this. And if you have a, a, your bulletin, your bulletin, I put all the resources, and Brooke put all the resources on everything that I'm teaching today. And so I would encourage you to do that. But follow me real, real quick. We've got to begin to say no to things and say yes to things. The first one is say no to lack of vision and find life's kingdom of vision. In Proverbs, when they said, when there's no vision, people get out of control. And with a lack of vision, what we do is focus on fulfillment. Like, oh, this will make me happy. Oh, that, this will make me happy. This will make me Get a vision for your life. Get a vision for your life. Because if you don't have a vision for your life and what your God has called you to be and do, then you'll be going all over the place, spending all kinds of resources that you can't afford. And so get a vision. When there's no vision, the people get out of control. Follow me on the screen. When we have no clear purpose or vision for our life, which aligns with God's kingdom's intentions for us, we will soon be serving our money rather than our money serving our vision. Can you imagine that all of a sudden you have a vision that you can start financing? To say, this is the vision, this is what I can do in the world, this is what I want to do in the world, and therefore your finances fulfill the vision that God has given you, that God has created you to be? Therefore you begin to really live instead of chasing things that people have told you to chase? See, when we have a no clear purpose or vision for our life, which aligns with God's kingdom intention for us, we will soon be serving our money rather than our money serving our vision. This is why even Brooke talked about this during the announcement. MCF's vision is simply to restore in order to restore. And there's where our finances are going more focused on restoring people to restore others. See, we are each meant to be heroes who attack a problem or injustice in the world that opposes God's original intent. But we have to understand that sometimes we were created, not sometimes, we were all created to fight injustice. We are all created to restore broken relationships. We were all created to bring beauty in this world and goodness in this world. 
And so when we begin to gravitate towards that vision that God has given for the kingdom of God coming in, then all of a sudden we can say, yes, this is where my finances need to be focused on. The next one is saying no to scarcity, but find a life of generosity. We always believe there's only a certain amount of money in that pie. And somebody's going to get it if you don't. And so what happens, we get in a panic mode. I have to buy the house. That house is probably worth a million and a half now. You know, you see what I mean? And so somebody got it, and I didn't. So when we have that scarcity mentality, we start making decisions that not, are not honoring God. See, it's interesting. If anything works against the truth of God's grace, it's a lie of scarcity. Scarcity is based on the idea that there is only so much of the pie to go around. Therefore, I must hoard the biggest piece of the pie as possible. And the scarcity mentality is fear-based. And when it's fear-based, I'm not trusting God with my life in this situation. This is where I start getting control issues, which we all do have it. And here's where the wisdom gets counterintuitive. It would seem to be smart to get yourself out of financial trouble, then start to give. But that doesn't work. See, if you are tight-fisted when you have a little, you are tight-fisted when you have a lot. So don't tell me, hey, when I get this new promotion, I'll start tithing. Tight-fisted stinginess has nothing to do with how much is in your wallet. It has everything to do with how little you trust God's grace and God's ability to care for your needs. 2009, you know Korak Taylor, he was doing our finances, our finances for the church. He comes to me in January and he goes, hey, I'm going to close the book for the previous year. Do you want to give any? And I go, no, we're fine. Because I really thought our tithe was coming out on a regular basis. But when I got the statement, and it said zero that I gave, the fear of God wasn't there. The fear of my wife was there. Because I know every time she checks, she how, how much did we give? So I'm sitting there. You know, I'm just trying to figure out how to do this. And she goes, and I go, you know, I, I think she knows when I'm about to get in trouble because this is what I do. Because somehow she's that teacher mode that she knows you're lying before you say anything. She knows that you're going to lie, you know, or you're fabricating the truth. So I said, we didn't give anything last year to the church. This is what she said. She goes, no problem. We'll just give double this year. It's 20%. We're in debt. I'm getting stingy, but she's getting more generous. Because somehow she was taught that if she tithes and gives, that the Lord's going to bless her. And that's how she's lived all of her life. And I go, who am I to argue? I'm the pastor. <laughs> so we gave 20%. It was the best financial year we've ever had. 
No tenants moved out, no property problems, nothing when we gave that 20%. And so it's really interesting when the scarcity mentality, you gotta be generous now. You're not gonna be generous later on, but you gotta be generous now. Now, I'm not going to give you your typical preacher, and I, I've, I've listened to on YouTube pastors giving their tithing, saying, look, if you give $100, it's going to be tenfold. I ain't telling you that, because it doesn't work, okay? It's just manipulation at its best, and I know, because I'm a pastor, and so I've never done this kind of way, but here's my advice when it comes to giving. Begin by giving back to God as much as you can give, willingly and cheerfully, because it's what God has put on your heart to give. It should also be an amount that challenges you to trust God to provide. As you learn to trust God, you will naturally become more willing to give cheerfully. If you remain financially tight-fisted, it is an indicator that you are in financial bondage. That's up to you. That's why scripture says about wisdom, the one who sows no, small numbers of seeds will also reap small crops. But those who sows a generous amount of seeds will also reap a generous cross. Everyone should give whatever they have decided in their heart. They shouldn't give with, with hesitation or because of pressure. God loves a cheerful giver. The next one is saying no to careless spending and find a life spending less than you earn. You know how many times I've encouraged people to go on budgets and this is what they say. I don't have any money. That's why we need to go on a budget. <laughs> because we need to know what you're doing with your money. You see? My mom always said, it's not what you make at the first of the month, it's what you have at the end of the, the month. And so you can say, well look at all this money. Because if you look at, we got our W-2 forms. You know, look how much money we made in the year. How much do we have at the end of the year? Do we have the budget? Budgets are hard. Because let me tell you this, I just looked the average Starbucks person. $7,800 in five years. 7,800 bucks. That means I could take my wife on a cruise, a 10-day cruise every year if I just get off Starbucks. You hear me? Put it, you gotta go on a budget because we have no idea. Hey, here, Starbucks. Oh, I got a free drink. That free $4 drink is because you spent $80 on drinks. <laughs> so that's not a free drink, okay? <laughs> I'm telling you, it's not a free drink, all right? I'm not, okay, so it's, let's be honest with each other. Let's be forward with each other. And so the best thing to do is sometimes with those credit cards is cut them. Stop using them. Go back to cash. It's very hard to pay cash when you're real. Oh, that's $4. You know, it's a principle of things. Instead of slide, slide, or my thing, it's an app. Just order, boom, it's there, it's ready for me. And so the proverb says this, the plans of a diligent ends up in profit, but those who hurry end up with loss. And so spend less than you earn. Follow a wise plan in spending money. In fact, the next one that we find out is say no to materialism and, a, and find a life of simplicity. 
I see people that are taking their entire family to Disneyland for three days. That's got to be 1500 bucks. But Jennifer and I, and if you can do it, if it's in the budget, that's fine. But when I look at, like Jennifer and I, just recently in the last couple of weeks, we've been taking walks on the beach. It's beautiful there. We're actually on the beach walking. It doesn't cost anything. But we enjoy our conversation. We have a good time. It's just making life for relationships and friendships and traveling with people that we love and not having to go to Europe or anything like that and just make it simple. The thing is that Micah says this. He has, no, he has told you, human one, what is good and what the Lord requires from you, to do justice, embrace faithful, get this, to walk humbly with your God. I think nothing clutters our life more than materialism. That I have to have the latest this, I have to have the latest that. I mean, I was looking at TVs, and they got this 5G. I mean, it's, cr it's crazy high definition. And now if you, you want a screen that kind of does a round thing, I want to buy one. I don't even watch TV. <laughs> All right, I really don't. But it just does not make sense. I got a perfectly fine TV now. I don't need a curved screen TV. You walk out, I didn't spend two grand. That's why in Costco, the first thing you go into Costco, lights, lights, lights. Oh, wow. Just, I'm telling you, it's marketing. Guys like lights. <laughs> Ooh, I'm telling you, simple thing. On the screen, instead of collecting stuff, cultivate relationships. Besides, increasing the quality of your relationships simplifies your lifestyle, will also help you live beneath your means. The next one is say no to irresponsibility and find life of saving for a rainy day. Proverbs says ants, ants, he's using the illustration of ants. Ants are creatures, our creatures aren't strong but they store away food for the summer. He's basically saying that ant that you keep stepping on is smarter than you. That's what it's saying. It's smarter than you. Because last week I, I told you 40% of America do not have a $400 um, emergency fund. Go off Starbucks for three months, you'll get it. You don't need the latest cell phone right now. You know? Work the budget, figure it out. Say no to your credit cards. Find a life of paying cash. If you don't pay your credit cards off 100%, don't use them. Because you're gonna end up working for them. Because what happens, and I've noticed this, when you're thousands of dollars, remember $17,000 in credit card debt in America, the average. You figure out, you get $40 an hour, let's say, Divide that in 17,000 and see who you're working for. You're working for the bank. I'm working, well, where's Maria? Okay, sorry. I'm working, for, I'm working for Wells Fargo credit card. I almost said Chase credit card. That's how banks make their money, okay? 
They're going, oh, wow, we're paying 1%. Let's get them to pay something that they can't afford, and then we'll charge them 18 17 19%. And you know what? We're here to help you if you're late because we'll just give you a late fee of 35 bucks. That's no problem. Wells Fargo, uh, not Wells Fargo, American Express sent me a thing. Hey, we know that you spent $300 this month on a purchase. Divide it up in the four-month payments. No interest. But they, they tell you, but there's a... Ooh. There's a monthly fee, which I did the math, that's 32% interest. It's interest-free, just a small fee. Is there such thing as an easy payment? There's no way in the world a payment is easy. So, so we have to be careful that we stay. stay. Scripture is blunt. It says this, the wealthy rule over the poor. The borrower is a slave to a lender. And the thing is, slavery has been abolished hundreds of years ago. And it needs to be abolished financially as well, too. Because we have to be very careful. So I would encourage you to get right when it comes to, to thinking these things. Yeah. Because finally, I can imagine, for me, and we'll learn this in our financial class in March at start state is leaving a legacy for people in the future. You know, we, we did a living trust and a lot of our resources are going to a ministry, um, I forget the ministry, come on. What? Empowering Lives International. One of our houses is going right there. And so, so when we go, the legacy, what our values will be, we'll continue to go through that. And so I encourage you to get in that class and put a living trust together so that you have control of what your finances will be in the future. God has given us grace upon grace. We have been given a health and abilities which we can use to earn money to meet our needs. God has provided us with much wisdom, which we call light, and how to be good stewards with the money with which God has blessed us. We don't have to keep stumbling in the dark when it comes to our finances, we have been given a great light. Will we let this light be our guide? Now, going in the back, the beginning of the, the sermon, do you guys remember Richard Cochran? Well, we call him Dick Cochran, but I didn't like calling him that. But um, he was one of the people in our church that was very frugal, but he was very wealthy. And uh, in 2009, he um, came into my office and said, how are you doing? And I was almost in tears. And he said this. We'll figure, it out th we'll figure this out together. I'm thinking handout. He's thinking plan. So he comes back and he says, show me all your debt, which is humiliating. And I showed him everything I owed. The week later, he came back with this huge flow chart. That's how he thinks. He's an engineer. He told me, three houses, six mortgages. I had six mortgages in debt, 
under stuff like this. He said, look, you don't lose on real estate if you don't sell it. Keep it. Wait until it gets back up. But look how much interest you're paying. Look how much you're, who you're paying these people. Pay this off. And he gave me a 10-year plan. 10 years. And so therefore, the mind starts setting to it. And 10 years, which was, no, it was 2017. I was completely out of debt. I owned, I was actually a homeowner. Wasn't owning the home with a bank, but I was the homeowner. And so the finances were completely paid off. The savings that I wanted is still there. The retirement's there, the tithing's there. There's a plan. And so you gotta be very careful applying these principles until there's a hard change. Where God can bless you and look back and say, Oh my goodness, I'm not going to chase the American dream, but I'm going to chase what God has created me to do, to restore in order to restore. And that's my vision for the church, and that's my vision, and that's what I want to invest in, other people, other things. And so I encourage you, look at the resources that we have provided in that e-bulletin. Those are the exact steps that I'm talking about that helps you get out of debt. And realize you don't get out of debt as fast as you get yourself into debt. <laughs> you notice that. It takes time. But God's going to come alongside of you. You're going to really learn how to, how to balance, this, balance these finances. May God bless you, and may God bless his word.